Welcome back, everyone. Uh, please uh, keep your Bibles open at um, Colossians 3. And uh, <clears throat> why don't we start with prayer again? Let's pray. Father, we know how easy it is to come to your word, the Bible, and to hear it read, hear it taught, read it for ourselves and still go away from it unchanged. Like the person who looks in the mirror at their own reflection and then walks away and forgets it. Father, we know how easy it is for us to do that. It's something we do almost unconsciously. And we pray that would not be so today. We pray that you might draw near to us by your Holy Spirit, that you might enable each and every one of us to go away rejoicing in your love for us in Jesus and understanding how you would have us live and the lives that you would have us serve in order that you would be honoured. And uh, we pray for this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, Most, though perhaps not all of you, will be familiar with the German Reformation. Uh, It was in the um, 16th century, so the... um, the early 1500s. I used to teach church history so uh, it was one of those parts of church. Most of church history is fairly discouraging to be honest but, but, but the Reformation is incredibly encouraging. It's a terrific time. Uh, it was a time when the church up until that point for quite some time had in many ways lost hold of the gospel and uh, had replaced it with a whole range of other things, man-made things. And it was a monk in Germany by the name of Martin Luther who God raised up and used to bring about a recovery of the biblical doctrine that we are saved by faith alone and Christ alone. So that which we take for granted, which we expect to hear preached from our pulpits Sunday by Sunday, but in many ways it had been, it had been at least significantly lost uh, in, the, in the man-made rules that have been developed around it. And so Martin Luther became the leader of what was effectively a revolution that spread out of uh, his monastery in Germany and spread all around Europe and brought about dramatic changes not only uh, to the to the Christian face of Europe but socially and politically and economically and in so many other ways. One of the most radical things that Martin Luther ever did though was get married. Uh, he married a lady, an ex-nun by the name of Katie von Bora in 1525. Now Katie was a nun who had escaped from the convent where she'd been um, uh, living as a result of the Reformation. She decided she no longer wanted to be a nun Uh, and she'd been helped out of the the convent by Luther himself. When she arrived in Wittenberg uh, she became Luther's responsibility along with several other nuns as to what to do with her. Uh, This is a very paternalistic age and so for a single woman you lived under your father's roof until you married and then you lived under your husband's roof. It's highly paternalistic. That was the way society operated. For Katie, her father wouldn't have her back and so she was living under Luther's roof and he needed to find her a husband. Um, The problem for Luther was that Katie was picky and uh, each time he brought a suggested husband to her she said, no, I don't want to marry him. Uh, eventually Luther agreed to marry her himself. Uh, he was in his 40s when they married. They didn't marry for love but love grew out over the course of their marriage 
By the end of it, Luther was able to describe Katie as, uh, by saying that the epistle to the Galatians is my dearest letter. I have put my confidence in it. It is my Katie von Bora. It's a lovely thing to be able to say about your wife, isn't it? He had some very practical uh, marital common sense when it came to keeping the marriage a happy one. He said, if I can endure conflict with the devil, sin and a bad conscience, I can put up with the irritations of Katie von Bora. <laughs> but the marriage itself caused outrage. Holiness was understood as a, in these days, was understood as a constant dying to any of the pleasures of this world. Real holiness could only be achieved if you entered a monastery, if you forsook career, forsook family, forsook love, forsook physical pleasure, forsook uh, food and, 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 and all of the things that, 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 that made life cheerful, if you like, if you turned your back on those things to embrace simply prayer and the contemplative life, that was regarded as the very essence of holiness. A constant dying to the pleasures of this world. And holiness was therefore measured by imposing these extra standards in the Christian life. And one of them, above all, was that it was difficult, indeed impossible, to be truly holy, certainly to lead a movement like the Reformation, if you were married. And Luther defied all of those rules about holiness. He insisted that holiness was found in the joy of marriage, married life and family life in the normal labour of a tradesman or, a, or an accountant, in changing nappies. He even said, I changed nappies to the glory of God and in struggling to pay bills. And the reason that Luther arrived at that conclusion was because he insisted throughout all of his public ministry that there was only one basis of authority and that was the Bible. Whenever he was uh, challenged to a debate, he would always agree so long as the only authority was the Bible. He wasn't interested in appeals to, uh, to human sources. He wasn't interested in appeals to tradition. He wasn't interested in appeals to any other source apart from the Bible. Show it to me in the Bible and I will do it. If it's not in the Bible, then it has no claim over me. And so in going back to the Bible... Luther redefined for the church what holiness actually looked like by drawing us back into the scriptures and what the Bible has to say about being holy, about being like God, rather than outside, external, man or woman made impositions that have been placed upon the church. In the last talk we saw in Colossians 3 the, the difference that the gospel has made to us and our lives are now centred in heaven, which is where we, is, our, is our spiritual reality. It is where we place our hope, but it is also, Paul says, where we are to set our hearts and our minds. But then from verse 5 onwards, he begins to address the earthly realities of what it looks like for those like us who have been hidden in Christ. What does it look like for us now as we seek to live out that new reality in the day-to-day -day struggles that make up the ordinary life here on earth. And I commented that what we need to be is so heavenly minded so that we can be of earthly use, that it is as we set our hearts and our minds on heaven and on who we are in Christ 
that we will begin to conform our lives to the word of God. Otherwise what we have is man-made moralism, otherwise what we have is hypocrisy, otherwise what we have is simply legalism. But it is the gospel which is this fertile soil out of which our obedience grows. And if we would be fruitful and pure and holy and of benefit to our troubled world, then we must focus in on who we are in Christ because of the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And so Paul, having reminded us of all of that, in verse 5 tells us that we should put to death what is hostile to godly living. Notice what he says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life that you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and put on the new self. When you look at that list of things that we are meant to put to death, that because of who we are in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are now to put to death these things, you'll see that what they hold in common is that they are all of them unrestrainedly self-centred, self-gratifying, self-indulgent. The first five, in, um, in verse five, say, Paul says, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. All of them relate to sexual indulgence. Even the greed in this context is probably the greed for sexual experiences. But giving free reign to your impulses, without regard for what pain or hurt they may cause, to the fact that you're treating another human being made in the image of God as an object for your satisfaction, a depersonalised object of your lust, someone to be used for your pleasure but not served for Christ's glory, he says put to death that way of thinking, that way of behaving, that way of living. Our sinful natures can always find an excuse, some way to describe what we are doing in more, in more noble or at least less negative terms. But Paul says no, Cut through all of that, it's just self-indulgence. It's self-gratification. It is a lack of love and a lack of self-control. The second group in verse 8 are really much the same, except this time the focus is on giving free reign to our tongue and to the anger that can so often burn deep within us. Anger. Rage, malice, slander, filthy language, lying, giving unrestrained expression to whatever I'm feeling without regard for anyone else. Just let it rip because that's what you feel like. If you've ever, we had, we had very angry neighbours one stage years ago when we were first coming to Ashfield Church, in fact, and uh, they were angry because they'd, they'd had a child removed by. Department of Community Services 
Uh, they'd had a lot of contact with lawyers and social workers and Pauline was a social worker and I was a lawyer and so we were not their most favourite people and they had a lot of anger and so they played very loud music, they were violent um, only time I've ever been punched was by my neighbour uh, they began to attack the house a whole range of different behaviours as they gave free expression to the anger and the rage and the malice that was within them because they didn't know the gospel they hadn't been transformed by the gospel when self-control is absent rage and malice and slander and lies abound you have died to all these things that's what Paul says died in Christ to those things so put them to death and in its place set your mind and heart on the things above the things of God so you cannot focus on the things of God if you are not prepared to repent of those things which are in direct opposition to God those things which are hostile to God so put to death whatever it is within you that is an expression of a lack of love and a lack of self-control. It's interesting, isn't it? The fruit of the Spirit often thought they're bookended by love and self-control because they're the two that hold all the other fruit of the Spirit together. And when love is absent and self-control is absent, what do we become? We become sexually immoral. We begin to use people for our own pleasure and our own satisfaction rather than serving them and we are filled with rage and malice and anger because we do not forgive and we cannot let go. Let go of such things. Put them to death. Don't, don't make them sick. Kill them. Don't make them separate from you. Kill them. Put it to death within you. Every time you spot a sin in your life, repent and pray, Lord, Lord, please, Allow me to put this to death by your spirit, to say no to sin and yes to righteousness. Why? Because Christ has died for me and in him I have died to such things. And the second thing that he says in verses 12 to 15 is to therefore clothe yourselves. Notice what he says as he moves straight on. He says, therefore as God's chosen people holy and dearly loved. you see how he keeps referring back to the gospel? This is not just ethical commands in a vacuum. It's because you are chosen by God, you are the people of God. It is because you are holy now in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have been made pure in the sight of God. It is because you are so dearly loved by God himself. How should you behave? Having put to death lack of self-control, indulgence, lack of love, now, he says, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. I spent many years working at uh, SNBC and uh, over the course of those years there were um, always a lot of young 
men and women come through and uh, what I noticed was that you never really needed to be told when a young bloke had started going out with one of the girls at SNBC. Never needed to be told. Once the bloke started the relationship, the Uggs disappeared. (laughs) The baggy jeans were no longer seen. That stretched brown T-shirt that once was white was never worn. All gone. Almost overnight, instantaneously, they would turn up at lectures in a designer shirt with real buttons. (laughs) Ironed. New jeans, a stylish jumper that matched every other part of their wardrobe because their clothing indicated a radical change. Radical change in their attitude, a radical change in their status. And that is what Paul is talking about here. You have been radically changed by the Gospel. Therefore put off what was a mark of your old life and clothe yourselves put on the clothing of Christ. So expect changes. Anyone who signs up to be a Christian and doesn't expect radical changes hasn't had the Gospel explained to them properly. Expect change. You know how it's like when you see an old house and it's up for sale and then it's sold and then the sold sign comes down And you notice that that there are new people living in there and you begin to wait for change because you know the change will happen. New ownership, new people, they've moved in, they're going to renovate and sure enough that's what happens. Christ has moved into your life and you are presently under construction, being radically made over into the image of Christ. So clothe yourselves, Paul says, in a whole new wardrobe. He lists a number of brief commands for the Christian believer. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness and love. You know, when I look at that list, I think often, too often in the church, we associate them with the work of nurses and social workers rather than Christian leaders and Christian followers. There's almost, I suspect at times, if I talk too much about kindness, that I'll be seen as lacking in strength or perhaps even lacking a gospel focus, a little bit wet. You know what I mean? Oh, he just keeps talking about kindness. What about the gospel? We talk in churches, in my observation, so much about God's forgiveness but much less about our own need to forgive others. How many people are no longer in our churches? I'm sure that you know some. Because when their world crashed around them, the church was not the place they found kindness. The church was not the place they found compassion. The church was not the place they found forgiveness. And yet think about it, what a thing to say of someone. She is a kind woman. Can you think of much higher praise than that? I hope not. He is a very gentle man. Is that something that we want to be able to say of our leaders? We look for strength in our leaders, don't we? And they need to be strong. 
They need to be strong to stand firm for truth. They need to be strong to resist the evil one. They need to be strong in their care of the flock that is entrusted to them but it is to be a gentle strength. Not brute force but leaders who are strong enough to be gentle even when others are rough. None of us have finished the race. We all have our rough edges and blind spots. There's a lot you have to bear with in me and I in you. But forgive, Paul says, whatever grievances you may have against one another. Christ has freely forgiven you even when you are his enemy, when you are hostile to him, unrepentant, utterly dead in your rebellion, what happened? God reached out to you and made you alive in Christ. God reached out to you and gave you a truly repentant heart. God reached out to you and placed faith in you so that you might respond to the gospel and believe. And over all of these virtues, he says, put on love which binds them all together. Do you notice the contrast with the previous list in verses 5 to five and 8? The very things I must put to death are all the fruit of a lack of self-control where I give free rein to whatever it is, that natural desire that wells up in me, self-indulgence, self-absorption, selfishness. And the things I must clothe myself in are all the fruit of self-control forbearing, forgiving, showing kindness, being gentle, being compassionate, filled with love. And over all of these things we are to put on the same love that God has shown us in the Lord Jesus Christ. See, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about us taking on the very character of God. It's only possible because we believe in the gospel. And God's spirit is is at work in each one of us to make us more and more like Jesus. There's um, There's a verse in Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus says, Be perfect therefore as your Father in heaven is perfect. I don't think I've ever read that verse without immediately thinking, yes, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And yet sometimes I need to sit with that, be perfect, just as God is perfect. Not wriggle out from under it with the truth of the gospel, it's true, but sit for a moment with the fact that that is what God demands of me. When I woke up this morning, God's demand of me was that today I would be perfect. There's a time and a place to go to the gospel, to remind yourself that all have sinned if we confess our sins God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness time and place to do that but sometimes I need to sit with the fact that I need to be perfect because that's how God is to take seriously in other words the command of the gospel that I clothe myself in the character of God and when I am quick to rush to excuses I am quick to accept what I really ought not. So how does it happen, this radical makeover, this being clothed in Christ? Well, verse 16, 
notice what Paul says, let the peace of Christ, 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you will call to peace and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. That's how it happens. The means by which God's Holy Spirit is at work in us is as we allow the word of God to dwell in us richly. This is God's chosen means by which his spirit will work in you to make you more like Jesus. So resist the temptation to look for some other word of the Lord for that claim to a special revelation. We have God's revelation. It is the scriptures. And let that word dwell richly, powerfully, productively within you. Let the Bible shape your values and priorities. Let it determine how you respond when you lose your job. Let it shape how you respond when you decide to retire. How you react to that person who wrongs you or the person who irritates you every Sunday. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude. So in our teaching, whether in the pulpit or Bible study or just casually over coffee, make the Bible central to what you say. Let it shape your thinking and your speech. Look for ways that you can bring the scriptures to bear to encourage somebody when you're speaking with them over morning tea. And as you sing, make certain the songs that you're singing reflect the truth of scripture. Now every generation needs to find its songs that enable it to express that, I know that. I'm of a generation where I miss lots of the songs. We've sung some of them today, it's been lovely, but I go to a church where we really don't sing any of them. None of the hymns nowadays. What does God's word tell me to do in that situation? Well, it tells me to shut up and stop whinging. That's what it tells me to do. It tells me that I need to sing those songs, whether they're my favourite or not, and sing them with gladness in my heart. Why? Because the God's word says it doesn't matter whether you like them or not, Stuart. Your job is to admonish and teach through singing the word of Christ. So put up with them and enjoy them. <laughs> or at least sing them. <laughs> you see how the word of God it has something to say of power in all of those little things that provide the grit that cause problems within our congregations. And which is why often churches are not seen as places which are kind and compassionate and gentle and forgiving and places of love. But the church, as we saw in the first talk, is a pale but nonetheless a reflection of this great heavenly reality where we gather. And therefore as the word of God dwells among you richly, as you daily set about seeking to be holy as your Father in heaven is holy, as you allow the word of Christ to richly dwell within you in every and any given situation, you will stop and you will say, what does God's word demand of me here? How would God's word have me respond to you? Because it is only as we take seriously the work of God's spirit through his word transforming us into the image of Christ that it will be able to be said of us as verse 17 says whatever you do whether in word or deed do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus 
giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. It can be awkward and uncomfortable at times. We know that we would prefer to pick the bits we like and to leave the bits we find difficult, but we don't want to do that. We pray that as the Gospel continues to shape the way that we think, as we set our hearts and minds on this great heavenly reality of who we are in Jesus, so it might be given expression in the way in which we live, as we put to death the sinful nature and as we seek to clothe ourselves in the very character of God himself. For these things we pray in his name. Amen. Hi everyone, I'm Amy, 